Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of the Canna Book Club here on Resonate Radio. Hope you enjoyed the latest episode that was released today on all of the things and all of the stuff. This week, we are covering the Arbuscular Mycorrhizal Fungus Glomus Mossiae. Induces growth and metal accumulation changes in Cannabis Sativa L. Uh-oh. Did you hear that? All the mycorrhizal grower people out there? That's right. People like you and me, we're putting mycorrhizae in a bunch of things right now. So here's an interesting paper. I know the title is going to be a little bit of a buzzword, but before we get started, as you all know, kind of book club, as some peoples, I was, like Dr. Anna was so confused. The four of us, we've been here before everybody. It's okay. Don't be a strange face, Dr. Anna. Kidding. By looking at something, it was that awkward intro part. Love it. Casey Alberon. You are the Canna Book Club host. So, as I like to say every single week, without further ado, Casey, go right on ahead. Thank you, Corey. I really like your hat, by the way. The, the fill colors. Like this. Uh, it's a Grodan hat. Grodan. Okay, okay. Yeah, own it, own it. I like it. Oh, All right, let's... That way. That way. There you go. Oh, ah. Uh, not sponsored. We're not sponsored, kids. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. True. Let's talk about some AM fungus. Uh, so this study we're talking about today was published back in 2005 in the journal El Sevier uh, Chemosphere. It was written by Sandra Sotiero, Sotirio and Graziella Berta et al. A lot of authors on this one. Um, but they're all out of the University of Milano, Bichocca, Bichocca, Italy. <laughs> We're doing Italy. Um, <laughs> and the University of Piemont Orientale in Italy. I'm not... I love how you could say Italian, Latin order. Lomus Mossier you've got, but the other ones that seem a little bit more obvious, no dice, Casey. No dice, brother. Italian is not my Latin origin, I guess. (laughs) I should have looked up some of these beforehand as well. Uh, Yeah, so let's go over this Italian study from 2005. I'm gonna start off with the abstract and we'll break it apart section by section and then come back together at the end. So the effect of arbuscular mycorrhiza on heavy metal uptake and translocation was investigated in cannabis sativa. Hemp was grown in the presence and absence of 100 micrograms per gram of cadmium and nickel and 300 micrograms per gram of chromium-6 and inoculated or not with the arbuscular mycorrhizal fungus glomus mossiae. In our experimental condition, hemp growth was reduced in inoculated plants and the reduction was related to the degree of mycorrhization. The percentage of mycorrhizal colonization was 42% and 9% in plants grown in non-contaminated and contaminated soil suggesting a significant negative effect of high metal concentrations on plants infected by glomus mossiae. Soil pH, metal bioavailability, and plant metal uptake were not influenced by mycorrhization, 
the organ metal concentrations were not statistically different between inoculated and non-inoculated plants. Apart from nickel, which was, uh, the concentration was significantly higher in stem and leaf of inoculated plants grown in contaminated soil. The distribution of absorbed metals inside plant was re uh, related to the soil heavy metal concentrations. In plant growth and non-contaminated soil, the greater part of absorbed chromium and nickel was found in shoots and no significant difference was determined between inoculated and non-inoculated plants. On the contrary, plants grown in artificially contaminated soil accumulated most metal in root organ. In this soil, mycorrhization significantly enhanced the translocation of all the three metals from the root to the shoot. The possibility of to increase metal accumulation in shoot is very interesting for phytoextraction purpose, since most high-producing biomass plants, such as non-mycorrhized hemp, retain most heavy metals in roots, limiting their application. So we're doing some heavy metal. So this is a bit of a different kind of story. We're not too interested in um, medical grade cannabis today. We're talking about industrial hemp a bit. So Molly's going to start off with the introduction. Thank you, Casey. Um, yeah, so this week, as you mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking about phyto extraction. And that is basically the use of plants to get rid of uh, inorganic contaminants in the polluted soil. So in this method, they um, basically use the plants that are capable of accumulating and tolerating high levels of metals, and uh, they're called hyperaccumulators. Um, so they're usually grown in the contaminated soil uh, to aid with that. Uh, and so then when they're ready, um, they do cut off the above ground biomass and then the fraction of soil uh, with the contamination is also removed. Uh, so to date, uh, most of the identified hyperaccumulators um, are pretty small and slow growing. So because of that, um, they're not really able to implement this across the board yet. Um, however, in effort to com contribute to overcoming this challenge, uh, in the last three years, this team has been investigating the metal tolerance as well as accumulation abilities of industrial hemp, uh, which is fast growing uh, and high biomass producing plant. Uh, so they demonstrated that even though hemp cannot be defined as a hyperaccumulator for cadmium, nickel, and chromium, um, as a metal tolerant organism that evolved. Um, mechanisms that are allowing it to cope with high metal concentrations in the soil, um, the amount of cadmium and nickel accumulated in the shoot was not negligible. So in addition to that, hemp um, is an industrial crop with multiple non-food uses, because typically you can't really um, use the stuff with heavy metals accumulated in the biomass uh, for anything like that. Uh, it's an excellent rotation and companion crop. So these possibilities of easily growing it especially in different climates, and using the biomass for um, non-food non industries can make the heavy metal contaminated soils productive. And uh, even though slowly, it can still restore them um, at the same time. So that's a big economic advantage along with a better quality of soil. And so any effort to enhance the capacity of cannabis to absorb and move that metal from root to shoot um, is of high interest. And I would say that this is probably one of the biggest uh, points when people are advocating for legalizing of hemp in other countries. Um, we see that come up quite frequently when people talk about climate change. 
which is you know quite promising. Um, so metal uptake by the plants can be influenced by soil microorganisms, and um, that can be associated with the plant's roots that form in the rhizosphere community, which is its root area. Uh, it's well known that mycorrhizal fungi are a major component of the rhizosphere, and they form multiple um, association with most of the plant species. Um, and so of these, they are vascular mycorrhizae, which is it going to be abbreviated in this paper by AM, are by far the most widespread. Um, so the benefits uh, to the plant include the improved nutrition, um, is going to have more uh, like better root networks, which will explore the soil, absorb nutrients, and translocate those nutrients to the roots, and root system modifications, uh, which can result in better, um, like longer um, and you know better developed uh, branching of the roots, and so a more efficient nutrient absorption. In addition, um, these uh, mycorrhizal fungi have been shown to enhance tolerance of biotic and abiotic stress, including heavy metal exposure. Um, and so they're direct link between soil and roots. They can be very important for heavy metal availability and toxicity to the plants. Um, the AM symbiotic status changes the chemical composition of root as well, and uh, like externally, and so that influences the soil pH, and uh, with that quantitatively and qualitatively affecting that microbial populations in the root area. All of these factors um, can influence the metal mobility or availability, and uh, the role of fungi is in the uptake and the transfer of heavy metals. Um, still poorly understood. The literature is quite conflicting. Um, they're mentioning that some reports indicated that fungi can enhance plant accumulation and tolerance, um, as it happens in other species. Um, they mentioned Helianthus annus or Glycin max, um, and uh, that's specifically when associated with Glomus intradisis and Glomus mosae, uh, respectively. Um, others show that this fungi enhances heavy metal uptake and translocation, but at high metal concentration and low pH, there are disadvantages for the plant. And so the growth of that plant is much, wor much worse, is <laughs> a lot worse. Um, and so uh, with contrast, uh, reducing heavy metal concentrations, they found that um, in other, you know, mycorrhizal associations. Um, and uh, what else? So the bulk evidence seems to suggest uh, that it's a very species-specific effect um, on the correlation of AM um, and the root metal uptake. And so in order to optimize the heavy metal uh, sorry, mobilization and absorption uh, to root, uh, from root to shoot, they are uh, presenting this study uh, so that they can evaluate the influence of root colonization by the AM fungus. Uh, GMOSA on hemp ability to tolerate and accumulate those three metals, cadmium, nickel, and chromium. And uh, Corey, you can take it away with materials and methods. Yay. Another boring materials and methods for Corey to cover two weeks in a row. Uh, this is a fairly standard one. I think the only, you know, fun things are really about the treatments uh, that they've done here. There is a fair bit of interesting material in the soil that they mix together regarding organic soil matter. Um, so, you know, there's specific kilos and such. Uh, I do encourage everyone to take a look at that and understand, you know, what the, the mixture of that is. Um, the other thing that we're kind of looking at here uh, is that, again, we're dealing with soil contamination. 
experiments here. So we do have uh, a few dissolved experiments that they're doing. So uh, to, you know, explicitly go through it a little bit here, the soil contamination was performed before sowing um, and adding the right amount of heavy metals dissolved in distilled water. So making sure that they're mixing that throughout. I wanted to point that out because we have gone through papers where, you know, some of the application is a little strange. Uh, they won't necessarily mix them in the right order. So for this paper, I kind of wanted to touch on that and say, it seems that they, you know, did this pretty good. They made sure that the solution was homogenized and not just, you know, watering the solution and then putting like a dry powder on top, for example. Um, so that was a definite good thing, just making sure that, you know, again, this treatment does go into the, the media. Uh, again, for the uh, different controls, they talk about uh, organic matter and pHs. So I'll leave that uh, to everyone's uh, uh, imagination to go through or just, you know, please go on it on your own risk. Um, but again, talking about contamination stuff. So uh, the contamination of the soil for uh, the latter type of pot, which was uh, the hemp growth with the presence of fungus and heavy metals, um, they use the same method. Um, for, for everything. So as far as the concentrations are concerned, before the sowing, um, they made sure that they measured uh, three soil samples from the pots um, and, and taking that extraction and uh, methodology that's reported below. Again, that methodology I'm going to kind of go through um, or just kind of pass off on. Uh, the things that I wanted to talk about here was in the field conditions there. Uh, the hemp seeds were germinated at the end of April. And so end of April is, you know, again, getting a little bit warmer out. Uh, you're not going to have typically as much control um, as you would like to have. But, you know, April is a pretty good time to do this, I have to say. So a little bit better than some of the other experiments that we've taken a look at. Uh, and this is shown, you know, with the temperature ranges that are on there, um, 5 to 15 and 25 to 35 degrees, respectively. Um, drinking water and natural precipitation were used as a water source for the plants. So no, you know, fancy reverse osmosis system um, that's at play here. This is just straight, you know, tap water uh, and rainwater uh, that they were using. So that's something that I also uh, want to touch on. The plants were analyzed about four months after germination at ripeness stage. Now, there isn't really anything else about like time of harvest in there. So that was one thing that I wanted to point out. I didn't really find like a specific day or kind of any mentioning of that. It just says ripeness. So I don't know if they went like trichomes here or, you know, did the hairs just change color? This one was just a little bit of confusing. Wanted to point that part out. Um, and yeah, they just, you know, removed it carefully and wanted to make sure that they saw, you know, the colonization that was happening here. So they go through um, how they did the evaluation of the different colonization. Uh, the one thing that stuck out to me here was actually in 2.3 about the plant growth um, measurements that they did where they, so I guess here's the days that they had from seed germination, 152 days. So I guess that's where I get my answer there. Apologies on that. Um, they put this stuff in a dry cabinet at 40 degrees Celsius uh, until a constant weight was um, achieved. Now, 40 degrees Celsius is pretty freaking warm. Um, so I just, that part definitely sticks out to me. Um, 40 degrees Celsius is, you know, they were talking about the heat dome earlier this year in the Pacific Northwest. It was even, it was just a little bit hotter than that. Not by much. So that's really kind of like a heat dome uh, for storage. And I, 
you know, we can, you know, talk about it a little bit later in discussion, but, you know, most testing uh, methodologies that I've seen, you're usually storing that plant in cooler temperatures uh, more so than, you know, scorching hot. So did you go into the uh, analytical methods? I'm not going to touch that. And the st statistical analysis, uh, unless my good friend, Dr. Anna, uh, wants to touch on that stuff, I am going to leave that stuff alone. We're getting a firm firm no from Dr. Anna. So I get to leave that to the crew of the Canna Book Club uh, to take a look at. But those are my points, my top uh, high level things that I wanted to say. I have no idea about their cultivation methods in, in Italy. This is one place I've never been to. So, you know, not really too sure how they came to some of this methodology. But for the most part, it seems okay. There's just those few things that I poked out uh, during the methods there. So that's all I got. Casey. I think, I think we got your turn, correct? Correct. We're going to look at the results now. Very simple stuff. Um, little interesting. Uh, we're going to start off with the soil heavy metal content. Uh, a lot of this is, uh, they didn't find a lot of significant data. So no statistically significant difference in both the total and uh, bioavailable metal contents were found between inoculated and non-inoculated soils before the uh, seed germination. So figure one is pretty much showing us uh, before the bioavailable before sowing, the total before sowing, the bioavailable after harvest, and the total after plant harvest. It's a little confusing, so maybe we could go over it a little later, but after the plant harvest, the measurement of total metals in the four soils was not significantly different from that obtained before sowing. So um, soil is staying as is, it seems. Uh, now, as for the mycorrhizal colonization, uh, no mycorrhizal, no mycorrhization was observed in the non-inoculated plants. Obviously, they were um, only found in the control or not the uh, treated plants or plants and soil. And then moving on to plant growth, uh, on average, the mycorrhizal plants grown in the glomerous, mossier contaminated and heavy metal contaminated and non-contaminated soils produce lower root and shoot yields than the corresponding non-mycorrhizal ones. Um, also in contaminated soils, the growth of inoculated plants was less than that of non-inoculated plants. Again, the, these differences were not statistically significant. Uh, so we're not really getting much from the plant growth. But moving on to the metal accumulation in the cannabis tissues, uh, let's see. So the, the metal concentrations determined um, in the hemp organs at ripeness are all found in table two. Um, and then table three will have their averages. But in table two, so the low levels of all the metals were found in the roots and shoots of the plants um, that didn't have the added metals. So since the bioavailable metal concentrations in uh, the soil were very low. Looking back to figure one, you can see that. Uh, 
on the contrary, though, the, the plants grown in artificially contaminated soil, um, the concentrations of cadmium, nickel, and chromium were higher. Uh, they were not, um, even though they were lower than um, the previous experiments uh, where they used different hemp varieties. Uh, and of course, the higher concentrations of cadmium, nickel, and chromium were found in roots. The mycorrhization did not increase the organ metal concentrations, uh, except for nickel. Um, it had a, finally a statistically significantly higher amount in the stem and leaf of inoculated plants grown in contaminated soil, both types. Um, we can also see that in plants grown in non-contaminated soil, uh, the greater part of absorbed chromium and nickel was found in the shoot. And there was no significant difference uh, between the inoculated and non-inoculated plants. Uh, but uh, plants grown in artificially contaminated soil accumulated most of the metal in the root organ. Uh, in this soil, microization enhanced the translocation of all of the three heavy metals from the root to the shoot. And the amount of metal in the shoot compared with the total absorbed metal was in fact statistically different than the inoculated and non-inoculated. And that's pretty much it for results. Pretty straightforward, not too much from these tables, except that, you know, a few of these metals are actually moving. Uh, and we can jump into the discussion. Okay, so I guess that's my cue. So, Corey, I just wanted to touch on your your hot cabinet that you pointed out. So, we have to remember in this study that the goal is to pull metal out of the soil in the plant, right? So, they don't even, like, the way that, you know, you dry cannabis, you're trying to uh, uh, preserve the terpenes and the cannabinoids and not screw them up. In this experiment, it doesn't matter, right? So... Even they're just trying to dry it out. We try to keep it a little bit cooler, but you know. they're just trying to dry it. They're just trying to dry it out, right? So I think that so it just really didn't matter that much. So anywho, so the big um, takeaways from this, like the whole, I don't know why I had such a hard time with these graphs, but for some reason, I don't know. I think I did something smart this morning and it emptied my whole brain, and I just it was done for the rest of the day. So, but, um, main takeaways here, uh, was, okay. So what, what, what are they trying to do? They're trying to clean the soil and use cannabis to do that hemp type cannabis. And as I'm looking at all of these results, really what treatment did that the best. And so I kind of looking at figure three, it kind of looks to me like if you want to pull heavy metals out of the soil, you don't really need to do anything. It does it just fine on its own. Although the, um, the G moss seems to also, it doesn't really seem to hinder the pulling out of the, the metals out of the soil. But then if you add, um, extra heavy metals or it seems like the extra heavy metals that they added kind of pull or hinder the ability for the plant to shuttle the um, they accumulate the metals in the plant, which is not what you want to do. You want to keep pulling it out of the soil. 
because um, if they, it's being stored in the roots, then you can't really harvest and get rid of that. You'd have to start all over again. Whereas if you can get it into the plant, then you can harvest the plant. It'll grow again, start accumulating again. You can harvest it again. It'll pull more out and you can kind of keep it going for a while. So, I mean, that was really the crux of the experiment. And of course, the, the, then the last part of the discussion, they sort of say that mycorrhizal plants grown in contaminated soils translocate a higher percentage of all through metals from roots to shoot, which is what I said. This disagrees with the part of the literature data that suggests that um, AM attenuate the toxic effect of metals, retaining them, uh, retaining the fungal structure with the subsequent restriction of metal transfer to the plant. So they found something a little bit different than what they were expecting, um, which of course leads to the, the ever popular um, conclusion that more work needs to be done. <laughs> um, and they say, the very last thing they say is that at the same time, the effect of hemp mycorrhization on metal uptake in the natural field without any restriction in soil exploring by hyphae should be evaluated. So I don't know, that's kind of my synopsis of what they found without actually reading the, uh, the discussion. Yeah. Although I guess in Europe, it's a little different. That they were, Europe's been kind of on hemp a little bit over the decades compared to other countries. <laughs> There's a very popular product um, in the Middle East that has this specific strain in it. And it's a very popular one. And so it stands out to me. This one definitely stands out to me. The uh, product has uh, the glamis. Yeah. Yeah. And quite like a very high like very high spore count and they're very high count uh, hmm. in that one particular. So um, yeah, that's why this paper kind of stood out a little bit to me. And some of those things that are, you know, said in there as far as the kind of hindering the growth, I have a lot of questions about the control. And like I said, like maybe, you know, when you, when, you know, again, I encourage everyone to read through the materials and methods and see, you know, what the organic material uh, mix was in some of these. And, you know, maybe that balance is what the, the, potential problem in a way or how, you know, I'm kind of misinterpreting this or why this isn't making a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. Maybe that soil balance is also not exactly right for, um, for this particular variety or just, you know, cannabis in general. So uh, that's one thing that I'd also be interested to kind of take a look at a little bit more closely. Um, yeah, it was just, it was super interesting to kind of see that claim and I just didn't really see too much and, you know, I would have loved to see maybe a little bit more um, specific measurements rather than, I guess, just straight biomass is really the kind of the key there. Um, yeah, there's that, that has a lot of questions for me for sure. Do you guys feel pretty uh, like confident that using mycorrhizal products is beneficial for medical cannabis? Well, it definitely helps in the rooting part. Um, I'm not sure about the nutrient part. And in this specific scenario, I guess like they weren't analyzing uh, the CBD, GHC or whatever the cannabinoids were in there. 
maybe because of the added stress, you know, it's increasing those parameters on the medical cannabis. Who knows? But in my experience, I didn't notice that plants were doing worse with it. Um, everything that I've used my <clears throat> mycorrhizal uh, fungi on has been doing pretty well. Like, you know, because we transplant them from clone then to veg um, and throughout all those stages like uh, between the transplants we apply directly to the roots and like it seemed to have been fine um, I don't know if there's a specific study we can maybe look at in the future that does um, sort of analyze those parameters for medical cannabis uh, but in my personal experience I didn't see it do like any damage really so. And like an application directly to the roots too, like home, like caking them in it is usually the best application as well. Um, yeah. Sometimes I've seen like in, you know, in the irrigation mix type of deal, but definitely like either, yeah, literally rolling the roots around it or putting it directly into that whole plug, you know, whatever you're about to put it in there. So there is contact with the roots on, um, on it is extremely, you know, important to the efficacy of it, I find. Um, in general, and I, and I say this for everybody who's about to either like shred this study or, you know, completely doubt mycorrhizae in general, mycorrhizal products, read the label. Okay. Read the label, read what's in there. Cause there are some products out there that just aren't mycorrhizal in there. They have wedding agents, for example, like yucca extract or something. Um, mm -hmm. And then on combination with that, Maybe they're going to have some like kelp extract that's in there. I've seen these combinations on the market. So that's not going to be a fair, you know, apples to apples comparison. If you have a product that has a wedding agent in it. And then, you know, I've made a couple of jokes before about kelp, but there's really some sort of like magical, like unicorn secret that they haven't unlocked with kelp yet. There's just so many interesting, you know, value adds that that, uh, you know, particular, tonic seems to have uh, for lack of better but um yeah i think that's important for everybody you know read your labels and figure out you know what is in there and making sure that there aren't this kind of extra added materials because that's going to have a giant giant effect on the outcomes um, of the experience that you potentially run so. i i feel like some i i can't remember if it was the intro but or the discussion but they mentioned that did they say that there isn't a lot of endo or ectomycorrhizal fungi for cannabis? Yeah, it's not. Which kind of <laughs> contradicts. <laughs> like, yeah. It takes a long time for it to colonize and to create. So, yeah. Because, I mean, just about every, like, plant out there, like, has some kind of fungal. I did notice that. Symbiote, but. If you use the um, mycorrhizae that's supposed to be for vegetables, it doesn't seem to work as well as the other one that we have used that's specifically, I think, targeting more of like cannabis base or maybe because it's in powder form. And so, you know, the application is a bit more precise because the one that's for vegetables has seemed to be in more like in chunks, if anything. Mm. So that's what I found to be pretty interesting. And it didn't seem to give... Um, as like good of a result as the powder version did. 
Yeah, so the strains are still going to be the same. It's down to like a strain thing. So that one that was quote unquote for vegetables was still the same like strain. Of, was it? Um, yeah, 100%. So you can only, the one that is only for cannabis is called endomycorrhizal. And ecto is the other one. Ecto is only relevant for like 10% of plants, uh, trees and woods and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's it's. So yeah, endo is what we're talking about here, and it's more of the it's our vascular it breaks into the cells, whereas and their soil. I think it's just like my micro fungi soil little buggers. But yeah, like Corey is saying, ectomycorrhizal is more like our where our fleshy fungi come from, like that um, make little connections with trees and such. And I think ecto doesn't actually penetrate um, the plant root. Mm -mm. I think it just goes around it, right? Shields it? It it goes like around the cells and can go, it's all around the root zone, but it's also like going in between the cells. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would think that in, you know, plants that you're growing for flower, you're going to want you're, you're going to not want the plant to be sucking stuff out of the soil. So it, in that respect, you could say that it would be beneficial for, to have the fungi because it's going to stop the plant from sucking up all of that uh, stuff in the soil into the, you know, the shoots, which is what you wouldn't want if you were growing for flower, especially in like an outdoor. But also grow. maybe like this specific study talks about like heavy metals which is like inorganic contaminant maybe when it comes to actual nutrients that are supposed to be part of the plants um, uptake maybe you know it's it is being beneficial so yeah i was kind of confused by that first uh figure one where it's like breaking it down between bioavailable and total amounts of heavy metals because it kind of bounces up and around. Yeah, I'm the the figures weren't so hot in these ones. They're they're a little rough to disseminate. I think that's what got me hung up. I was so confused because I spent a whole lot of time on Figure One just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Figure One uh, out. Yeah. Um, would it be, I have a would note it be in here that you you couldn't? figure it out a it, uh, very it wise to say that well done Corey. <laughs> dad joke points for Corey. On, fire. <laughs> <laughs> also they're only testing this one species of glomus whether there's dozens of species that so like so, uh, all yeah, these, pro- that, these yeah. products like all these like in- like actual products that are out there like mix the fungi species but here they're just using one so maybe this the fungi wants friends or something so that they could work together to transport this heavy metals so they did say in the discussion that they chose gmos because there's literature saying that this species is naturally present in heavily contaminated soils. So they on purpose selected this particular species based on that. And then it negatively affected the plant growth. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm ch- I'm chalking that negatively affected plant growth thing to the silly experiment only had one cultivar, and that doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Still one cultivar on and one fungus. <laughs> you okay, Corey? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's algae. Good. It's algae and fungus. Oh my god! It's oh, no, no, no. There was oh my god. There was another way that somebody called algae. Yes, algae. Oh my algae. My dad says that. Uh, no, get the algae off the table. No, it's algae, algae and fungus, or algae and fungus. So pick one. is that the option we definitely got a simple one in here uh back from 2005 so with shit figures Um, shit figures a little shitty i mean the i guess the best one is probably the pie charts on figure three but even still it's pretty basic (laughs) i mean they really managed to stretch out this experiment though and get a few pages out of not a whole lot of information that they got from the really um, oversimplified experiment, just using one one strain and one strain of plant and one strain of fungus. But we see this is a good thing because it's going to the shoots and roots and not the flowers, the heavy metals. That's our kind of our general. Happy no, no, we we want we want the metals to get sucked out of the ground and go into the plant so we can harvest the plant. Get rid of it. Keep growing. The whole point of this is to get is to remediate the soil. So potentially, what I was saying is that you could add this GMOS to your soil if you think that you have contaminants and your plants won't suck out the heavy metals if you're growing for flower. So you could flip this the information in this study to your benefit if you're growing for flower to stop those accumulators from getting into the plant matter and they'll stay in the roots and out of the, the tissues that you want to harvest. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Keep it in the roots. Yeah. <laughs> Stay rooted. Stay rooted. Oh Except Stay just, yeah, maybe. <laughs> that's, what happens in the roots? Let's just stay away from the heavy metals. <laughs> what happens not. in the roots stays in the roots. Did you know that cadmium-6 is... Very toxic. Sorry, not cadmium. Chromium six. I Cut think cadmium is pretty pretty. I mean, they're both toxic, but chromium six. What a what a crazy little toxic metal. Cadmium and chromium. So cadmium used to be put in white paint, and chromium used to be put in. I think there's chromium green and chromium red. And back in the days of the artists when they used to put their paintbrushes like in their mouth and then they go crazy like Van Gogh, like cut off his ear and stuff from the heavy metal metal toxicity from paints. And that's from hat glue that also had toxins in it that would leach into your skin. And because, because people who made hats were dealing with this glue all the time, it would seep in through their skin and then they would go crazy. Freaking huffing glue. Women, too, uh, wearing dresses of various colors, especially green dresses, would go a, a, a little loopy and get all poisoned and stuff. 
I wonder what happens when you smoke heavy metals. That's terrible. It's I guess so you go metal, bad. bro. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Um, we just learned about GMOS and how it just doesn't help with heavy metals. Um, or it does help. I don't know. It depends on if you're trying to get the heavy metals out or keep them in. But let's just not get heavy metals in our medical cannabis, which is usually what we talk about. But, you know, sometimes we like to talk about industrial hemp as well. But come on back next week and let's see what else we're going to talk about. Don't forget to follow. I think it's a good thing if we do flower production. I think that's the way we're flipping it, Casey. I think that's the way we're flipping it. Kind of book of people. Bye. We'll see y'all later. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of uh, Canna Book Club and another episode of the Resonate Radio. We are absolutely pumping out the episodes of Canna Book Club fast and furiously. Don't worry, Resonators. Content switch-up is happening. I get to spend some time editing now because no football's on. So we have a few things in the can that are going to be brought forward. So get ready for that. I'm excited to drop that through to you. If you haven't had time to leave a review on Spotify or Apple's, go ahead and do so. And please do it with five stars. Five stars is what we're looking for. And send a link to a friend. Let's go, folks. Spread the love of the can of book club. Anyways, I'm out of here. Thank you so much. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.